welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And welcome to our first episode of 2021. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Year! (laughs) (laughs) Woo! This is our goal-setting episode. We are talking about what we want to learn and what we want to do, things we want to bring into our knitting lives in the new year. And we're really excited to be trying some new things. Yeah, we like to think of them as goals instead of resolutions because oh, yeah. resolutions are kind of garbage. Right. It's lots of pressure. People get frustrated and quit. Like, this is a goal for your knitting betterment. Right. No 30-day challenges. No, 2020 was a challenge. We're going to be gentle to ourselves <laughs> this year and and do some, like, knit life caretaking and hopefully other types of caretaking in your personal life, too. So that's a good place to be. Absolutely. So if you listened to last week's episode, you may have heard us talking about our first annual, we called it 2020, we meant 2021, first annual 2021 stash down. We're doing a stash buster knit along. And this year we're going to be knitting Stephen West's Penguono. So if you didn't hear that episode, you might want to go back and check it out. You also might have joined us for our Instagram live last night. Yay. Weird, (laughs) but we'll get used to it. Yeah. (laughs) Every time anyone emails us and they're like, hey, you should do a video podcast. If you watched our live, now you know (laughs) why we're an audio (laughs) podcast. It's awkward panda time over here, but whatever. It's fine. (laughs) Also, so we recorded last week's episode out of order because of the holidays, and we should say... When we recorded that episode, we did not have a Make Good Instagram account. So we said in the episode, we don't have a Make Good Instagram account. We were wrong. We were super (laughs) wrong. So if you heard us say that, and then you were like, what? I think I already followed it or whatever. You're not wrong. We were wrong. So our our Make Good Instagram, which is where you can find the live where we talked about the knit along, is at Make Good Pod. I feel like... Our inaccuracy there is a shining example of how broken time was last year. (laughs) So here's to more linear time in 2021. I don't know. I'm not there yet. I'm not ready for linear time. Oh, no. No, no. But it might happen at some point. I'm, (laughs) I'm in the eternal optimist over here. Have you seen the, um, there's those frog and toad memes that are like, do you remember how to do society? Nope, nobody does. Like I, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's relatable content. <laughs> it's good. Yay, frog and toad. So let's start by talking about the knit along. Right. Let's have some details. So the official cast on date was yesterday. But if you didn't cast on yesterday, this is a very low key, low pressure knit along. It's casual. Yes. No, like we said, no 30 day challenges. The idea is to work through your stash so that you can start with a clean slate in 2021. So whatever you've got, if you have single skeins, if you have scraps from previous projects, that's your materials for this knit along. If you didn't cast on yesterday, there's still time. The idea is we're going to knit this thing. You're going to finish it or not by February 1st. The knit along ends on February 1st. You don't have to be done with your penguono on February 1st. Yeah, like for a number of reasons. First of all, like no pressure, just relax. (laughs) (laughs) 
commune with your yarn, decide you don't like colors anymore, search for new yarn, like whatever you have to do, pace yourself. Another reason you don't need to be done by February 1st is that we want this to feel accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. And A, even the smallest size penguono is kind of a lot of knitting. It's a ton of knitting. Yeah. And we very much understand that like if you're knitting larger sizes, clearly it's going to take you longer than someone who is knitting a smaller sized garment. And we all knit at different paces and we all have varying amounts of knitting time available to us for a bunch of different reasons scheduling reasons body reasons like there's a a lot of limiting factors on how much time you can spend with needles in your hands yeah so really to be eligible to participate in the knit along and be considered as someone who might win the actual prize at the end you need to have started your penguono and you need to post some pictures at least one, because it's one entry per picture, to Instagram using the hashtags. And the two hashtags, which are on our, we'll put them in the show notes so that you have them, but it's make good stash down. That's the the every year hashtag. And then it's make good penguono. That's the this year hashtag. Yeah, it's one entry per post. So if you want to post the project picture every day, we're going to be excited to see your project. Right. It's going to be great. So and you'll have um, more entries. And the, the prize at the end is $150 gift card to Scratch. So you can think about it as trading your stash for a new set of needles or a tool that you've had your eye on or a knitter's backpack or a bunch of new yarn. Or a bunch of new yarn. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it should be fun. And Also, we just want to see lots of your pictures. So enter a whole bunch. Right. Who cares? It's going to be great. Mostly we just want pictures. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to post pictures too. And I'm definitely not going to win the gift card. So (laughs) post pictures with me. It will be fun. So Jessica, can we talk about the pattern a little bit? Because it's kind of an unusual pattern in some ways. Yeah, let's do it. So I cast on my penguono last night and... When I was looking through this pattern before I started knitting, I did a read through because I was being responsible and wanted to be able to talk about it with all of you, like on the live and on the podcast today. But this penguono, if you haven't seen it and you're just hearing about this now, is kind of a cardigan style garment. It's a like oversized jacket, kind of kimono inspired piece of outerwear, we'll say. And it's meant to be worn with lots of positive ease. The sizes range from small to 3XL. The small is a 42-inch finished garment at the chest. The 3XL is 80 inches. So there's, it's very body-friendly. It will fit lots of different people. It's comfortable, and you can kind of customize it as you go. The construction of the penguono is sort of modular. It's not like traditional top-down or bottom-up construction. You start with like a center back panel and work out on the sides, and you're picking up and knitting in different directions kind of throughout. Stephen West has added great photos to the pattern that are like labeled with numbers. So when you're reading instructions in different sections, you can reference that to see where you are in the evolution of your penguono. (laughs) And the other thing that is kind of fun and exciting about this is that it's 
designed to be a stash buster project. Like there right. are plenty of things that you knit that you're like, oh, I'm going stash diving. Let's see what happens. <laughs> Surprise stripes. Yeah. But this is intended to be a stash buster. So when you're looking at the pattern, you'll notice that there's only one set of instructions, which is not typical. Usually there's a set of numbers for each different size. There's only one set of instructions, and where the different sizing comes in is the gauge. Oh, interesting. Yeah. On the first page of the pattern, there's a little chart for sizing, and there's a column for size, for chest circumference, for gauge, and then the corresponding recommended yarn weight. So for size small, which is the 42-inch size, you are going to be getting a gauge of 20 stitches over four inches of fabric. And the recommended yarn weight for that is fingering weight. If I want to make the 3XL size, which is 80 inches, I'm going to be getting 10 stitches over four inches of fabric. And to achieve that, I'm going to be working with chunky weight yarn, also called bulky weight yarn. But wait. What if I'm knitting, what if I want to knit the 3XL, but my whole stash is fingering weight? You are in luck. (laughs) (laughs) Because you can do that. And the way you do that is you're holding multiple strands of yarn together. So if you've looked at pictures of the Penguono, you may have noticed that the aesthetic is a little funky. And it is definitely a palette to play with color and texture. This is not... A conservative sweater, like you can get, <laughs> you can get weird here, and that's kind of exciting. Like the possibilities are endless. The pattern also has like a great little yarn yarn weight building guide. I'm going to call it. That section doesn't actually have a title, so that's what I'm calling it. So it it tells you that you can use a single strand of chunky weight yarn, or to achieve that gauge, you can hold two strands of DK weight together or three strands of fingering weight yarn together, or DK weight and two strands of fingering, or just like all sorts of different combinations. So you're pulling from different balls of yarn and holding them as if they were one and just knitting. What if the gauge you're knitting in requires you to hold three strands of fingering weight together? And so you're working with two full skeins from Stash and then one leftover part of a skein. So you're holding these three strands as one and you're going to knit, but the part of a skein is going to end sooner. What do you do? Okay. So strands one and two are long and strand three is scrap. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So when you start to run out of one color in your combined yarn, you're just going to grab a different skein and when you run out of one, you pick it up and replace it in that like unplied weight of yarn that you're holding. So you've got pink and white and red and your red yarn is running out. You pick up another color and you replace the red and just keep knitting. So basically what this is, is a DIY version of a marled yarn like spin cycle. Oh yeah. Cool. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're familiar with spin cycle, you know, some of their colorways have like wild unexpected color (laughs) transitions And you can do that too, depending on what's in your stash. Like just get experimental. Steven has put fun little notes in here about uh, choosing your yarns when you're building your penguono. And he suggests that, you know, 
you treat your your neons like neutrals. Like just throw them in there. <laughs> Don't be afraid of them. And if you have colors that you're deciding, eh, maybe this doesn't work so great. The solution, add like 10 more colors. It's fine. Like nothing, probably no one thing is going to stand out in this unless right. you really make it a design feature. Well, and we talked about this a little bit last week too, especially if you're stash diving. It's likely that a lot of the yarns that are in your stash are going to be kind of in a palette. You're going to mm -hmm. have liked these at some point, and there's going to be something about them that you're going to like. Okay, colors going together. <sighs> this is such a thing. Every color on the color wheel has a relationship to every other color on the color wheel. Mm -hmm. Everything goes together. They're all friends. Right. It's good. And what was the thing in the Warm the Line interview? It was something like if you're trying to get into a new color, work it into a bunch of colors that you already like. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think it's Franklin Habits yes. recommendation that like just start using little bits of it and you will grow to like that thing. So this would probably be a really good opportunity if you have a skein of yarn that you like you were in a shop or at a festival or on a dyer's website or wherever you procured this skein of yarn and you were like, this is beautiful. And then... Once you got it home, you looked at it and said, oh, I can't really picture myself ever wearing this. And so mm -hmm. it's just kind of been in the in the skein. Now is its time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Let it shine. It's going to be beautiful. Because this, this finished garment that you're making is kind of a, a wacky garment. Like it's, it's a big wraparound. There's no closure on the front of this cardigan. It's one of those you hold closed like you're hugging yourself. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a blanket that you can wear while you're on a Zoom call. Oh, sure. It's going to be so good. <laughs> Can we talk about weight? And by weight, I don't mean the thickness of your yarn. I mean weight like, how much will this thing weigh? Right. Because when we did a Stash Buster a couple years ago and I knit that Roy G. Biv that I loved, mm -hmm. and, and that particular project, I think we mentioned this in the Stash Buster episode last week, is by Park Williams, and it's designed as, just like this, it's designed as a stash buster. And you're creating, like, bulky weight or super bulky weight by holding a bunch of strands together. I knit this thing without ever really trying it on, and then when I made it vertical, the weight of the fabric <laughs> pulled it down. It was like a knee-length duster. It was dramatic. <laughs> I knit myself a bathrobe. It, I, yeah, and it was beautiful. Oh, yeah. But... But it was heavy. It was like a lot of yarn. And it kind of just keeps getting longer. Mm-hmm. So in this pattern, in addition to, you know, gauge and all of that helpful information, there's yardage based on physical weight here. So he tells you that your small size penguono will use approximately 800 grams of yarn. The 3XL Penguono will take approximately 1,300 grams. And these are approximate weights. But there's some helpful information here, too, about how to alleviate some of the, like, heaviness. Mm -hmm. um, I think that, like, aesthetically, when you think about a pattern like the Penguono and you see samples and lots of bright colors, you immediately think... Indie dyed yarn, which means a lot of a lot of superwash, worsted spun, so high twist, dense yarn. And the more of that you use in this project, 
physically heavier it will be versus if you incorporate some woolen spun yarn into it in the pattern Stephen West makes some uh, recommendations for adding in things like Shetland wool if you have it or like Brooklyn Tweed Shelter is a nice loosely plied worsted weight yarn so it's the the yarn itself is less dense and if you're holding that together with like a fingering weight or a lace weight that's like a high contrast pop of color you'll get really cool effects but it physically won't be as heavy and as dense of a fabric right so it will drape maybe with a little bit more air some loft to it versus <laughs> like hanging right like a heavy heavy bathrobe for cold new hampshire winters <laughs> right i mean no complaints about the long long yeah. long roidy bib that i knit yeah but, but since you're since you're creating effectively you're creating your yarn and your fabric because you're holding strands together to create your fabric here you can make it kind of as dense or as loose as you want that's a consideration as you're diving into your stash you might find that you want it to be kind of like looser gauge so knit with bigger needles or take out one of those plies of yarn like this is totally your project do your thing Share some pictures. This is also one of those things because the sizing of the end product is entirely dependent on the gauge that you're getting. You're going to want to check your gauge. <laughs> Do a swatch. And and it's going to be a little tricky because especially if you're pulling in different skeins as you go, you're not going to swatch every combination that you're going to use through the whole thing. But just make sure that if you're holding three strands of fingering weight together and you're knitting on size 10 and a half needles, you are getting roughly what the pattern is calling for so that you are headed in the right direction. Like this is not a close fitting garment, but you're going to be really sad if your gauge is super tight and it doesn't wrap or something. It stands up on its own. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, one more note about the pattern. So I told you there are little like schematics that show you this is what section 11 is. This is what section 15 is. The instructions will tell you to break your yarn at the end of each section. It does not tell you when to change colors. Oh, right. So that's totally up to you. You could knit each section in a different color palette and really get like a neat patchwork effect. You could do every section in the same color if you wanted to. The color changing options here are completely individualistic and based on what materials you choose to work with. Right. Yeah, it's going to be amazing. (laughs) I'm excited. And hopefully in the next day or so, I'll post some pictures of my Penguono progress to start the sharing. But you post yours now. I want to (laughs) see. Even if you haven't started, like if you haven't cast on, if you've got a pile of stash, that you're going to use for your penguono, post that too. Oh, yeah. We'll count it as an entry. Yeah. Let's do it. I mean, choosing yarn is part of the process. Absolutely. (laughs) So the idea behind doing this stash buster is to create some space for some new things in the new year. So let's talk a little bit about goal setting and spreading your knitter wings and what, what you could do once you're free of your stash. Yeah. You could do anything. Um, so I okay here's what I think about setting goals for your knitter life in 2021 
it doesn't have to be a big deal. Right. Like, I feel like, okay, it's January. People are like, New Year's resolutions. And there's all of this pressure to make these big, like, significant changes in your life. And it really, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal. Like, setting a goal is, like, a nice thing to look forward to, right? Whether it's something big and exciting or something tiny and really achievable, but it will give you an immense amount of satisfaction to be able to be like, I said I was going to do this thing and I did it. And that's great. So for example, I am a super lazy Ravelry user. Like (laughs) I used to like many, many, many moons ago, I used to be like active and engaged online in the community. And then like my life changed and I spent less time there. One thing I have never, ever used Ravelry for (laughs) is posting my projects and maybe like posting one or two of my finished objects on Ravelry might be my goal for this year, like to have some record in the universe that I knit things (laughs) (laughs) or, you know, something more tangible and related to your knitting. Like, like maybe this year I would like to practice Steaking techniques. You've always wanted to try brioche. We've got a friend who just recently tried her first color work. She's been knitting pretty intensely for a couple years and had sort of put off doing color work. There's a woman that comes to craft night who's kind of doing the same thing. She's Mm -hmm. like gearing up to try her first color work project. And here's the thing. It's knitting. If you get a little bit into it and it's just not working for you, you just rip it out, right? But at least you tried it. Mm -hmm. And I feel much more comfortable personally about that kind of goal. Like sometime during this year, I'm going to try something I haven't tried before Mm -hmm. than the, I am going to knit a pair of socks every month in 2021. And when I miss my May socks, because, you know, something came up now I'm behind and I feel all of this obligation and pressure and like you start spiraling. Yeah. And you know what? Like, You don't need to be feeling about your knitting like this is just like that time when I was 12, when my parents told me that I was lazy because I didn't want to put the laundry away or whatever. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be that. Right. Like, (laughs) I'm just coming back to this idea of being gentle with yourself this year. Like, try something new. Maybe you've never knit using double points because you're like what is this four needles in a project thing at a time like give it a try you might like it you might not and you know what if you don't you never have to do it again can I tell you about the first knitting class I ever took Mm -hmm. okay please do (laughs) I was on vacation with my family it was somewhere I'd been before And there hadn't been a yarn shop the previous year. And then there was a yarn shop. And I was like, oh my goodness, there is a yarn shop here. And they're offering a class on magic loop. I Mm. am going to learn how to magic loop. This is amazing. Because that was one of those things when I was first getting into knitting, it sounded very intimidating. Right. It's magical. It it is. (laughs) And clearly, you have to be taught how to do it. Right. Right. Like somebody you have to, I think, I think the class was something like $35. It wasn't like a big investment class or something, but still like I was a college student and I forked out $35 and I was going to learn how to magic loop. And we got about 15 minutes into that class. And I was like, oh, 
Magic loop is the thing I do when I'm too lazy to get up and find my double points. <laughs> uh-huh. Okay. Cool. Okay. Yeah. But like that, I had built it up as this big thing that I I could not do. I could not teach myself. I needed to go find an expert and be like inducted into this, you know, secret society of people who know how to magic loop. And then it turned out it was not, it was not actually intimidating to do. And knitting is a very learn by doing art. Right. And so on some level, you kind of just have to go, okay, I'm going to try it. And sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you need to go find someone to like help explain or help decode these instructions. Sometimes it's just a matter of entering in different search terms in the, into YouTube to find a different tutorial. Oh, definitely. Like we all learn things differently. And we definitely in the shop when people are allowed to come in, right. <laughs> have people come in who are like, I've tried to turn a sock heel periodically over the last 10 years. Yeah. Like, my mother tried to show me and we get into a fight and my grandmother gets frustrated and says, you just don't knit socks. Like, <laughs> you know, sometimes there's a personality conflict. Sometimes it's just the method that is being used to introduce this new skill set to you isn't what you respond to. For some reason, it's not gelling, but that doesn't mean it's impossible for you to learn it. Sometimes you just need fresh eyes on something. Right. And it and it is really helpful to to understand that sometimes it is just the way it's being explained. And that way probably works for a bunch of other people. It probably worked mm -hmm. for the person who's explaining it to you. It probably works for, I don't know, a quarter of the population. It might work for nine tenths of the population, but if it isn't working for you, you need to just find a different explanation. Like there's no judgment on that. Yeah, it's fine. When you say that, that doesn't make sense to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly it's possible. We will find another way. Right. Yeah. And so I'm going back to our friend who just tried color work for the first time. Color work can feel intimidating. Uh-huh. Because there's two strands of yarn and you're doing this extra thing and maybe, you know, you're involving both hands or maybe you're not, like depending on how you're doing it and what technique you're doing. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it's just knit stitches one after the other. Maybe a pearl. I mean, there might be a pearl stitch I, in Who there. knows? <laughs> Anything is possible. But, but you know what? You can probably do it. You can definitely I'm, do I'm it. I'm confident that you can do it. So our goal for everybody who's hearing this and everybody who comes into the store and everybody just in general in this new year is that they find something like that, that at the end of 2021, they can look back and say, I hadn't tried that and now I have. And maybe it'll be your new favorite thing and maybe you'll never want to do it again. And maybe it was a success and maybe it wasn't. But, but that doesn't matter. But you tried it. But you tried it. Exactly. And that's awesome. Maybe you do want to knit 12 pairs of socks in 2021. That's great. And if you only knit 10, then holy smokes, you knit 10 pairs of socks in 2021. That's really exciting. That is well into a one and a half laundry cycle sock situation. You never <laughs> have to buy socks. <laughs> you know what else is really good? What? Can we talk about the mail that we got at the store? And when I say male, I mean 100 pounds of yarn. Yes. <laughs> Let's. What do we get, Karen? Okay. So Madeline Tosh is back. It, yeah, that happened. We used to stock Mad Tosh a couple of years ago. 
there were a bunch of issues. We ended up dropping it from the store. Then it changed hands. Yeah, under new ownership as of 2019. Right. It says on the ball band, reestablished 2019. Super shady. (laughs) I love it. Love it. So we were contacted last summer by the Mad Tosh rep. Yeah. The single rep for for new Mad Tosh. And he had been driving across the country for like three months by the time he got to us. He started in Nevada, Colorado, something like that. Uh, I think they're in Nevada. They are. The office, I I don't know. Yeah. He'd been driving for a really long time. And the border between the U.S. and Canada had just been closed. And so we were literally his last stop because he couldn't go any further. He couldn't even go to Vermont. He was like, well. (laughs) (laughs) He'd been literally camping on the roof of his van for like three months because he Mm -hmm. didn't want to stay in any motels because there was a pandemic. So he asked us if, if he could come talk to us. And we were like, yeah, man, but we're not ordering any yarn. Like we really... We had some problems with Mad Tosh before, and we really just want to hear about what's different now. We just mm-hmm. want to talk to you. But we're but not placing an order. We are super not placing an order. He was like, okay. So he shows us all of this yarn. Mm-hmm. It was nice. It was really nice. It was, you know. We were like, oh, hey, old friends, yarn. Right. It was Hi. Like, <laughs> these are the colorways that we knew and loved back in the day. And these are the bases we knew and loved back in the day. And, like, he told us things that made us feel optimistic about changes. So that was nice. But we were still like, eh. Yeah. You know, bye, old friend. Right. We were like, okay, but we weren't going to order yarn and... Not today. Yeah. Okay. So I have to tell, like, let's just set the scene here. So when a rep comes to visit you, they usually have either single skeins and then color cards or they have mini skeins on like one of those rings, like, like a, a ring. binder ring. Yeah, like like you would put flashcards for like your Spanish class in high school or whatever. Mm-hmm. He had mini skeins on binder rings, so he he'd been sitting there for like an hour and a half. This poor man's been in the car for since the dawn of time, basically. <laughs> and he he says, "Hey, is there a restroom in the building?" So we tell him, "Yeah, you know, out in the hallway. Go go find it." And while he's out in the hallway. There is a binder ring under other stuff. It was peeking at us. It was it was like little hopeful yarn faces of the new TML plus tweed, which is single ply fingering weight tweed yarn. Who's even heard of such a thing? Oh, it's pretty. And it's it was so pretty. So gorgeous. And so by the time he came back, we were picking colors. Like kind of wildly. He was like, what are you doing? <laughs> And we were like, so we said we weren't ordering yarn, but that was because we didn't know about this yarn. And like, he didn't even show us that yarn. If he had done this on purpose, it would have been the best sales tactic I think ever. But I don't think he did. Or he's a genius. (laughs) Or he's a genius. (laughs) So we wildly ordered yarn and it just showed up. And it is so pretty. It is gorgeous. It's like old Mad Tosh before things went wrong. Frankly, it's like the dimensional colors. It's the fiber has a sheen. It is like, it's just pretty. It's gorgeous. So good. And we're really excited about it being back in the store. Yeah. So if you're interested, go check it out. And maybe we'll post some pictures. Go to the Make Good Pod Instagram, and we will show you some pictures of all of the Mad Tosh colors on the TML plus tweed that we are drooling over. It's Superwash Single Ply. Mm-hmm. How do you do superwash single ply with nylon in it? You could actually knit single ply socks if you wanted to. 
You could. I, I'm baffled and amazed. Anyway, we're super excited about it. Yay, sneak peek at new yarn for this you. Is, this is when we should do a video. Or like a Patreon or something. Or, an, or live. Oh my gosh, you guys. There's so many options. We're going <laughs> to show you yarn in You're so many ways. You're going to see us be awkward on video in so many different venues eventually. Sweet. Okay. Jessica. Karen. What's on your needles? Ooh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> I have a couple of quick updates. The penguono, obviously. <laughs> but also, I have done two things. I have finished an entire pair of socks because I needed to move on with my life and get away from the stress of my sweaters and their sleeve issues. So I cast on a pair of the DRK Everyday Socks from Andrea Mowry. And they're cool. They were a lot of fun to knit. And I finished them. I'll put some pictures up of those too, because they're wicked cute. So that's one thing. And then the other thing is I pulled my star crossed back out. And I am going to finish it maybe tonight. I don't know. Oh, sure. Maybe in the next two days. Something something you're, soon. You're really close. I am. I finished one whole sleeve. Yeah. And then I've started working on the other one. Yeah. So here we go. You're almost there. They're going to fly off my... Hey, after <laughs> knitting socks on size one needles, sleeves on size six, flying. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my life. Karen, what's on your needles? Oh, God. Okay. Tell me a story. Okay. So I'm still working on my forager. Isabel Kramer in the Ritual Dyes Elder. Mm-hmm. I'm still loving it. It's gorgeous. It's really great. I love that yarn. I love that pattern. Isabel Kramer's sweaters fit me really well. I'm excited about it. I also knit one uh, one DRK everyday sock. Um, I picked up some self-striping yarn from Woolens and Nosh, who's a local dyer. And I knit one and then I was like, no, I have to go back to my sweater before I finish the second sock. So I have like a, a little upcoming time to knit socks in. So I am saving my socks for that opportunity. And then, okay, it is finally time to talk about my big gift knit. Okay. Which I loved this pattern. I still love this pattern. It's a fantastic pattern. I knit the Good Old Friend Pullover by Vera Velamecki. And I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce her last name. If I did not get it right, she has published books with Hohi Locatelli. So you can look those up and then see the spelling of Vera's knit last name and then find her pattern that way. And I knit it out of Blue Sky Fibers Eco Cashmere, and I gave it to my dad for Christmas. Mm -hmm. This is officially (laughs) a gift gone wrong. And this is a gift gone wrong because of poor communication. Uh... So So I was knitting this thing, and I cannot say enough good things about this pattern. I really love, there's like a saddle shoulder construction. I think the sweater hangs really well. It has a cool um, reverse stockinette panel on the front. Mm-hmm. And other than that, it's kind of a pretty straightforward pullover with some shoulder shaping. And like, I, I just really love this pattern. It was beautiful. The pattern does suggest kind of surprisingly long sleeves. I think she had, you know, it was like, I usually knit for myself like 17 or 18 inch sleeves. And I think these are like 21 inch sleeves. My dad is only six feet tall. He doesn't have, I've never noticed like particularly long arms on him or mm-hmm. anything, but... So I was like, okay, I'm going to knit what the pattern says and then do a bind off in a way that if it's wrong, they can send it back to me and I can fix it. Because I was 
putting sure. this in the mail and sending it. So he opens it. He tries it on. Yes, the sleeves are way too long. And also the neckline. The neckline is wider than he likes. And I hadn't even thought about that. He really, when he wears sweaters, he only really wears like crew neck sweaters. And unfortunately, this is a top down sweater. And so I think probably I should have just knit a flax. And I think that's what I'm going to do. But I love this pattern. It was so beautiful. Yeah. The yarn was amazing. The, the yarn pattern is, is great. So the Eco Cashmere from Blue Sky, it's, um, we sell it in the store. It's been discontinued. I think because it's 50% recycled cashmere, 50% virgin cashmere. And I think they were having sourcing issues with consistent color of the recycled cashmere, I think, is yeah. why they discontinued it. I'm a little bit speculating. They're, they were milling it. It's milled in Italy. And I think that yeah, in the course like, of the pandemic, there's been a lot of like issues with sourcing from particular places. So yeah, it's it's gone. So, well, <laughs> we, we stocked as much of it as we could when they announced that they were discontinuing it because yeah. I was like working on the sweater when they announced it. And I was like, this sweater is amazing. And then when I blocked it, it got even better. <laughs> so cannot recommend that yarn too highly. And also I am excited about knitting this pattern again. I have, I have somebody else in mind for it. I actually think the, the particular sweater that I knit, if you're local, you've heard us talk about, we have, we have the best landlord at the store. We do. And so I'm, I'm going to take the sweater that I knit for my dad and I'm going to pull the sleeves back a little bit because they are just too long for human arms. And then I think I'm going to gift that particular sweater to our landlord to thank him for basically being a miracle, being a total miracle. He's great. And then knit, knit my dad a sweater that he would actually like. But the moral of this story is sometimes the communication element of gift knitting supersedes the surprise element of gift knitting. Because I think if I had shown this pattern to my dad, he would have been like, I like that except for the neckline. Right. And then I would have said, oh, you want a crew neck sweater. And I would have knit a crew neck sweater. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So small gift gone wrong. It's fine. Also, go knit that pattern for it. Like, I, I am obsessed with it. Like, it just. It's beautiful. It's really nice. Go check it out. Yeah. Okay, Jessica. Karen. Are you ready? Oh, no. For a letter. Yeah, let's do it. First letter of the new year. That's right. Okay, I'm ready. Okay, so this is from Jen. Jen is local. Hi, Jen. Hey, Jen. She actually stopped by the store the other day to pick up a curbside order dressed like a bumblebee, which was amazing. It was very festive. I think she was <laughs> she did a buzzing dance. in the new year. Yeah. yeah. Something amazing. <laughs> I think it's so fun that you've started a podcast. We do too. Thanks, Jen. <laughs> I've been watching way too many knitting vlogs recently, but I get much more knitting done when I'm listening to audiobooks or podcasts rather than watching something. So thank you for another audio option. I have two questions. First, I use the cable cast on method. It seems like a perfectly functional way to cast on for almost any type of project. Is there really a reason to get fussy with other kinds of cast on methods? Am I missing out on some major revelation about the merits of learning 101 ways to cast on? And then two, 
I've recently become fascinated by different types of sheep breeds. Much of the available information is about British breeds. What can you tell us about sheep breeds found in New England and their various characteristics? And as a side note, would you ever consider selling yarn tasting kits of different types of breed-specific yarn in your shop? So Jessica, if you want to answer the question about the cast on, I got a little sneak preview of this, so I have some sheep breed information to share. Great, because I feel unprepared to talk about (laughs) New England sheep breeds. That's all you. Okay, that's a good question, Jen. And it's kind of two questions. So to start, the cable cast on is a perfectly good cast on, and it's great for lots of different uses. If the cable cast on is your go-to, that's fantastic. Everyone needs to have like their old reliable. And many patterns that you encounter will just say, cast on X number of stitches. And they don't specify what your technique is. So in that case, cable cast on away. But that said, there are many, many, many different types of cast on techniques. And these different techniques exist because they serve different purposes. A cable cast on is kind of like a nice general all-purpose cast on. Uh, Something like a long tail cast on will give you a very tidy kind of semi-rigid edge. There are things like old Norwegian cast on, which is a very stretchy cast on. And you might find that that's a good opportunity to make the tops of your top-down socks really stretchy and comfortable. Or if you like a hat that isn't like hugging too tight around your head, Old Norwegian cast-on is great for something like that. There are things like provisional cast-ons, which are easy to unzip from your knitting, basically, when you need to cast-on, start knitting in one direction, and then at some point undo that cast on edge and start knitting in the opposite direction. Um, An example of when you might do that is at the neckline of a sweater. If you're knitting top down, you might do a provisional cast on, work the sweater, and then come back at the end to unzip your provisional cast on and knit the collar up. And lots of different times too. There are many, many different types the Turkish cast on, which I learned with my most recent pair of socks um, for toe up sock construction is really kind of fun and easy and gives you a beautiful seamless toe. So there are lots of different reasons you might want to do a particular cast on. And if structurally it's important to your knit garment, the pattern designer will tell you what kind of cast on they think you should do. Of course, you always have the option to substitute whatever works best for you. The second part of your question there is, do I really need to learn all of these cast-ons? And the answer is no. You need to know how to follow instructions for these cast-ons. You don't need to have encyclopedic knowledge of cast-on techniques. I've been knitting for a long time at this point, and there are many, many cast-ons that I've done many, many times. And if you tell me to do it now, I will say, uh. (laughs) And, And fortunately, the internet exists. And it's really easy to just quickly search for, you know, a German twisted cast on or a provisional cast on that uses a crochet hook. 
and to look at a blog post or a video tutorial that takes you through the steps of doing that technique. Some things are kind of obscure, some you'll use more often. We are fortunate that we live in an age where we don't need to hold all of this information in our heads. And you can just use reference materials that are widely available to figure out those techniques and move forward in your knitting. So knit away. Try new cast-ons because some of them are fun and you might find some that you are surprised that you enjoy as much as you do. But also your cable cast-on is a great, reliable, everyday tool to have in your toolbox. How about sheep? Okay, let's talk about some New England sheep. Let's do it. So here's the thing about sheep. Mm -hmm. They're pretty chill. Yeah. And they kind of just live where you put them. And they're fine. There are some exceptions to that. There's some wily sheep. So if you're talking about, like, less temperate environment than New England is. So I'm, I'm thinking about, like, New Zealand or Iceland or something. That sort of place is going to weed out some breeds over some others. Mm -hmm. But generally speaking, if you put a sheep in a field in New England and give it three quarters of a building to live in when it's raining, it's going to live its life and it's going to be pretty happy. Mm -hmm. The three breeds from local sheep farms that we know, our friend Ruth over at Sunrise Hill Farm has Shetland and BFL sheep. Shetland, they're very small. They're originally from the Shetland Islands, which is in Scotland, and they tend to have a little bit coarser wool. So it, it can be used for tweeds or it can be used for fair isle knitting, which is what uh, sort of Scottish knitting is famous for. And that's because the coarser wool works really well in color work. It sort of grabs and doesn't do funny tension things. And then BFL or Blue Faced Lester, and that's spelled L-E-I-C-E-S-T-E-R. It's one of those words where if you've never heard it out loud, you might think it's like Leicester or something, but it's Lester. Is a descendant of the English long wool family of sheep. And they think that those were introduced it to England or Great Britain rather back when like the Romans were ruling. So those have been in the UK for a long time. Mm -hmm. That's a very soft fiber. It's a little scratchier than Merino, but not much scratchier. Okay. So as a little bit of an aside, the scratchiness of wool is measured by micron count. So the lower the micron count, the, the less scratchy it will be, the higher the micron count, the more scratchy it will be. So like Merino has a very low micron count, but things like Romney have a, have a relatively high micron count. And those are going to be good for different things. Like if you're talking about wearing it next to your skin, you probably want a low micron count. If you're talking about wearing it every day when you're out chopping wood as the outer garment, and it's going to be protecting you from splinters or whatever you want, like a high <laughs> micron count. Um, I'm picturing specific local people <laughs> that would enjoy a high micron count. As an aside, Micron count for your specific skein of yarn is generally not going to be readily available. Like when you're shopping for yarn online or something, the product listing for whatever you happen to be looking at, very rarely will there be mention of micron count there. You can like look that up and have numbers kind of associated with specific breeds, but it's not like everyday knitter use kind of information. Right. And, and just to give you an idea of scale, Merino is in the 20s. And Romney is in the 40s. So there's there's a difference, but it's mm -hmm. not like 
Yeah, it's not like buying sheets or something where it's going to say like... Thread count. Thread yeah. count. Yeah. Yep. Like it doesn't say that on your skein of yarn. But if you're sitting at home and you're trying to order online because you can't go into your local yarn shop and touch it yourself, you're like, oh, this is Rambouillet. I'm going to look up the micron count of Rambouillet to give me an idea on where in the scale mm -hmm. of Merino to Romney, where it might fall. And then, okay, so Peg over at Savage Heart Farm has Corridales which Corridales are originally from New Zealand. They have sort of medium or long hair, which makes them a good option for hand spinners. They give you a, a lot of yarn per shearing, or a lot of fleece, I should say, per shearing, which <laughs> makes them very efficient. So if you, for example, picture somebody in, oh, let's say the 1860s, putting a bunch of different kinds of sheep on a boat to take to New Zealand... And you're trying to figure out what's going to get you the most wool product per sheep. Because how many sheep can you fit on a boat before things start to get a little iffy? <laughs> Corridales are going to be a great option. That's how they got to New Zealand. Yeah, and it's pretty soft. Okay, here's the thing I found when I was researching this that, first of all, overlapped with some, like, dusty knowledge in my head from AP US history 800 years ago. And I just thought it was kind of cool. So some more general information about the wool industry in New Hampshire and Vermont. In the very early 1800s, there was a man named William Jarvis, who was originally from Boston, and he became really obsessed with merino sheep. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and back at that time, merino sheep were like a state secret of Spain and Portugal. They would not let the sheep leave the borders. You couldn't have them. And he wanted them. Yeah, same. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So he waited until Napoleon invaded Spain, and then he exported like thousands and thousands of sheep. He was like, there is chaos. Now is my chance. I'm taking the sheep, wow. and I'm getting out of here. That's yeah. long game. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I would like to think that was one of those things where opportunity is really just being in the right place at the right time, and our buddy Will was in the right place at the right time. So because of him, like he specifically brought over 15,000 merino sheep to New England. Whoa. And then he had family in Claremont, New Hampshire, and himself bought a farm in Wethersfield, Vermont, and just he just farmed a million sheep forever. I don't think he farmed all 15,000 of them. I think he sold a lot of them. But we are deep in historic sheep country here. Yes. Yeah. Like, so we're in Lebanon, and there's all the old mill buildings, and what was being milled was wool. Mm -hmm. There were just sheep everywhere. Sheep were, <laughs> which sounds glorious. And then here's, here's the APUS history thing. The Embargo Act of 1807 and the Non-Intercourse Act of 1809 <laughs> uh -huh. made it, it, at that point, it made it impossible. You couldn't import wool anymore. So the uh. U.S. wool market became this really hot commodity. People were spending, especially accounting for inflation, a shocking amount of money on individual sheep. They were spending more to buy a sheep in 1815 than we would spend to buy one now. Like, kind of wild. Huh. So there was a huge boom, and that kind of lasted until about, I don't know, sometime in the 1820s. And then there was a little bit of a recession. People kept farming sheep because who doesn't want to farm a sheep? And then there was another big boom in the local wool industry during the Civil War. So here's the thing about specifically Merino and specifically superwash Merino, which hadn't been invented at this point. But currently, the American wool industry is made possible by the U.S. military. Yes. Because the thing that keeps mills in business is superwash merino for military uniforms. 
They don't have time for non-superwash. So, okay, so a lot of farmers, local farmers in New Hampshire and Vermont during this boom stopped growing food and started farming sheep. So basically anywhere you look where there are those old, old stone walls means that there were sheep. Which is everywhere. New England everywhere. is famous for stone walls. <laughs> I don't know if there are actual pictures, but I know there are stories about like, Colburn Park mm-hmm. being full of sheep. I know <laughs> the Dartmouth Green was full of sheep. We have stone walls in our yard. Oh, yeah. We we were covered in sheep, I bet, there's before there whole, were cows. Yeah, there's not a whole lot that can be defeated by a stone wall in terms of things you would need to keep in. Yeah, they're not very tall if you are not living in a region where there are stone walls in the woods. But they'll defeat like, a sheep. Yeah. <laughs> the sheep are like, meh, barrier. I'm going to stay here. So, and st- I think still, maybe not anymore, but for a long time, Sheep remained the primary livestock um, in specifically Vermont is where I read that, but I think probably in New Hampshire too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if dairy cows have have overrun it at this point. Wild dairy cows. <laughs> They've overrun local agriculture. <laughs> if you're one of those people that like pictures stories in your head as it's being told, I'm sure that was quite entertaining. <laughs> So kind of anecdotally, like the people we know who have little hobby farms tend not to have merino sheep. They tend to have things like Cordale or BFL or Shetland because the animals are are also pets and so they want a specific breed. Yeah, it's kind of like when you have like small hobby farm things going on at your house, like poultry, you might decide instead of getting like generic white turkey that is used in like large scale factory farming, you are going to look for a heritage breed or, you know, specific breeds of chickens. Small-scale sheep farmers are like, Shetland sheep are friendly like dogs and also easy to pick up because they're small, so I'm going to have a whole bunch of them. Right, and I think a lot of hobby farmers do really worry about what happens if they have to get their sheep to the vet or something. Like, that's a big consideration. Oh, some sheep get very big, so absolutely. (laughs) And so this seems like a good time to talk about this, too, because it's a conversation we have in the store periodically about there isn't really like factory farming with fiber animals. It just doesn't happen. There are large scale farms. Ranches. Yeah. Right. But there's there isn't that same like like you would see with like the dairy industry or something, because just like the hair on your own head when you are stressed or you are sick or you're not eating well or whatever, and it just is like kind of dull and it breaks and, you know, there's Mm -hmm. whatever. If your goal is to give these animals a haircut and then sell the hair, they need to be really well taken care of for that to be like a viable product in the end. Oh, sure. Like fiber animals are happy animals because if they're not, they don't give you what you want. Right. Yeah, like you have to baby your fiber animals. You super do. And you want to because they're adorable and oh, cheaper yeah. for hugging. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I think that might be it for today. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, go to our actual podcast Instagram that exists at Make Good Pod. You can subscribe to our podcast on whatever your platform of choice is. And send us your letters. You can email us, dearscratch at scratchsupplyco.com, and we'll answer your question on a future episode. Happy New Year! Yay! Make some goals and take some pictures of your penguono and share them with us. I can't wait to see them. See you.